0: Warm welcome please let's uh, welcome him as he comes and shares with us this morning morning everyone good to see you actually i need that one just a little john's giving them all away here we go here we go okay brilliant great to see you all this morning and uh did anybody watch the rugby yesterday yeah, it's better than, oh, a few groans around the place, but um, great. Let me uh, just explain very briefly. We're, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning in terms of it's not a sermon as such, okay? Now, I'm going to read from the Bible because I know some of you will be twitching, all right? So, I'm not going to tell you at what point, but we are going to, we're not going to start with it, okay? So, in... And out. You'll be okay. It's all okay. It's not a problem. Uh, but uh, I, I want to chat to you about something that God's been really stirring in me that I'm uber, uber excited about. So to help me do that, I want to tell you about a few people. Can I tell you some stories? Yeah. We like stories, don't we? They're not made up stories. They're real life stories. Let me talk to you about Dave, I call him Leaflet Dave. There's a reason I call him Leaflet Dave. It's not like a disrespectful Leaflet Dave, but there's a reason why I call him Leaflet Dave. But before I tell you about Leaflet Dave, it's really important that I tell you about Alan. Is that all right? I mean, they're in the same story, so don't worry, okay? So Alan's, um, he's in a church. The church is Huddersfield. It's an Elim church. For those of you who may not know, this church here in Stratford-upon-Avon is part of a group of churches, over 500, that are called Elim, and this was the Elim church in Huddersfield, which for a little season, uh, my wife Emma and I used to be a part of, and this particular Sunday morning, I'm speaking at this church, and the kind of talk that I'm delivering, it's not a talk... That's really for Christians particularly, although, you know, they might get a bit of some out of it. It's for people who are just thinking about Christianity. So I'd done my talk, and at the end of the talk, i give an opportunity for people who, may be, who maybe don't know God or wouldn't call themselves Christians. If there's anything in my talk that's made them think about becoming a Christian, then we give that opportunity. In this particular morning, a guy by the name of Alan became a Christian. Fantastic! I was so excited, and Alan was really excited—like really, really excited. You know, like what people are like when they first become Christians, and then after they've been with us for a couple of years, we knock it out of them. Do you know what I mean? That—that—that kind of excitement. Okay. So Alan was really excited, and he kept saying to me, "Oh, Mark, this is amazing. Thank you for everything that you've done for me. I just feel amazing." I said, "Oh no, no, it's it's not me, Alan. It's not me. You ever do that?" You know, when somebody encouraged me. You ever do that? I remember hearing this story of a a preacher who was really blessed by the lady who was playing the piano that morning in church. And he came up to her and said, Madam, I just want to say to you, that was amazing. She said, It wasn't me, it was the Lord. And he said, Madam, it wasn't that good, which I think is a really, (laughs) really fair point, don't you? We need to know when it's the Lord okay, fair dues, and we need to know when it's us, and when it's us, and we've done all right, take it, encourage us, but when it's the Lord, we'll, we'll thank him, right, anyway, so I'm doing that thing where it's not me, and I knew it wasn't me, I knew that it was, it was the Lord, so um, about six weeks have passed now, and I'm back at the church, only this time, I'm attending, just going in on a Sunday morning as a, as a part of the church, and Alan's there, and Alan sees me come in and he makes a beeline for me. He's like coming towards me like an Exocet missile with a big smile on it. And he's absolutely been he's saying, oh, Mark, I, I can't tell you how much of a difference you've made in my life. What a change. He says, I can't thank you enough. He said, my wife's now become a Christian. My daughter's become a Christian. And my son, he's coming with us as well. I just Is there anything I can do to pay you back? hey, you're back. Is there anything I can do to say thank you? I just want you to know. So I'm doing that thing where I'm going, no, 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 you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. And I'm thinking, right, what am I going to do? I've got I've to get him off subject. All right, because he's like, eh, he's, he's like a rock rider, right, he's on it. I thought, I've got to get him off subject. So I thought, what can I do? What am I going to do? I'm thinking, oh, I know. Oh, Alan, that's, oh, I'm really, that's amazing. Thank you so much for the encouragement. Oh, Alan, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What, what do you do? He said, oh, I own a printing company. I said, oh, right. Pause that right there. Okay. Um, you can back, back me up on this. Um, my wife's here. And um, my back room in Bradford, where we were, uh, um, I think, living at the time, actually, still, um, but we had a back room in Bradford. And in that back room, it resembled more of a printer's shop than a back room, because I'd been designing and producing my own little leaflets to, to help people along the journey of faith, um, and so I designed loads of stuff, because I would, in all humility, I didn't like anything that was out there, you know what I mean, it just felt like it didn't say some of the things I wanted to say, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll do my own, really, and I kind of designed them myself, and I don't mind saying I did a very decent job, and I printed them, are you ready for this? on an Epson stylus inkjet printer. Do you remember those bad boys, eh? They were great. And those leaflets were fantastic until one day we were using them in the open air and it rained and all the <laughs> ink. You know, the, the cross looked pr- particularly dramatic as the red kind of dripped down off it. It was a very visually impactful leaflet, but it just wasn't very useful. So then I managed to get a laser printer. <laughs> I know, you're easily pleased as well. So I got this laser printer and then I thought, I, I can't. It's like, I'm staying up till all hours here with the printing. I was, Emma's remembering it now. <laughs> so it was printed, I think you were involved in it, actually, weren't you? folding leaflets and stapling and guillotine hundreds. Because by now, lots and lots of churches had started to want to use them. So I'm like, and I thought, oh, Lord, this can't go on. And I would got a thousand pounds about. And let me help you to understand something. Y- you need to understand, I couldn't even afford to pay my salary. So a thousand pounds was a lot of money. I mean, it is now, isn't it? But a 1,000 pounds then. But I needed about another 3,000 pounds because there weren't any of these 48-hour cheap printers that you can get online now. You had to have it all really properly designed for you. So I'd sat down and done the budget. There was about 40,000 things needed producing. Uh, One of them was a booklet and three of them were leaflets. So I'd got this 1,000 pounds and I'd been praying, Lord, I need you to, to, to find the rest somehow because I can't keep doing this. I really, really, Emma can't keep doing this. She could, but she didn't want to. Emma can't keep doing this. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so I'm saying, Lord, you've got, you've got to provide somehow. I don't know how you're going to do it. Let me take you back to Alan. What can I do for you, Oh, there's nothing you can do for me. You don't have to do anything for me. It's not me, it's the Lord. Get you off subject. Alan, what do you do for a job? I own a printing company. Ooh, um, there might be something you can you can do. So I said to him, hey, listen, Alan, I said, you can say no to this, okay, but maybe one thing you could do, which is not to help me, <laughs> blarney, okay, is... <laughs> Actually, because how many of you know that the best way to be thankful is to express it, isn't it? So I said, if you if you want to be thankful, don't be thankful for me, maybe be thankful to God. Look, here's the deal, and I told him the story. I said, Maybe you could fund, part fund the, the rest of these leaflets, because then you're gonna get out the message to lots of people that's changed you. He went, That's print, I'll pay for the whole amount. So which I said, Alan, that's really generous, but from my own integrity. I've got a 1,000 pounds, which i had been praying for God to make up the rest of it, so I need, just to be true, um, I need to pay you the 1,000 pounds, but if you could, he said, yeah, no, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Fantastic. He said, come round on Monday morning. So I went round on Monday morning to his studio, and uh, I walked in, and this, this was Alan's introduction. Remember, he's only been a Christian now for six to eight weeks, and he, just, he can't stop telling everybody, but he's not, he's not got that thing that we call sensitivity I mean I've met people that have been Christians years and have not got sensitivity as well so I'm not going to knock him for it so I walked in and this was his introduction Mark this is Dave Dave's an atheist get him <laughs> and I'm doing that thing like with Alan like you do you know when your kids embarrass you and they're little and you go oh no, no. And I'm looking, at it, I say, oh, Dave, is like he's just very excited, that's all. And then Dave said to me, oh, no, man, I am an atheist. You won't get me. <laughs> well, now, like, it's funny in talk now, isn't it? It's funny in talk now. He's like, he's given me the challenge, hasn't he? And I've got to rise now to it. Anyway, look, I don't know what, do you ever say things without thinking? Yeah, most of the time, I think, isn't it? Well, I just, I just said, to, I don't know. I, I don't really know why. I can only believe that maybe it was the Lord, and if it weren't, that he was kind and used it anyway. <laughs> I said to him, hey, listen, Dave, you no, know, what will happen is you'll read through all these leaflets, and everything will fall into place. And then he said to me, no, I, I'm a designer. We don't really read the text and now I've worked with a few designers and I can, I can vouch for them. Sometimes what they design, I'm going, have you read my text? Because like, it doesn't really, really match. Anyway, fast forward a couple of weeks, the leaflets have been printed. I'm, I'm coming up to collect them, 40,000 um, leaflets and booklets. And dated. said, oh, Mark, I'll give you a hand into the car. So we carried them towards my Citroen BX. Do you remember those with that rising suspension? game changer okay so uh, we're we're lifting them across and we're we're not far off completing all the boxes and getting them in I mean my car was absolutely rammed and Dave just came up to me he said Mark I went yeah he said um you got me now I'd completely forgotten I said what do you mean got you I thought maybe I trapped him in the car or something you know what I mean (laughs) And he (laughs) he says, so I'm sorry, mate, let me lift the lid back up, you know. Can be painful, okay? So um, he said, no, no, you got me. Because what I'd said to him is me and God, we're going to get you. And he said, and he used the phrase back, you and God, you got me. Now, I'm not offering that up as a top tip for sharing your faith, by the way, okay? In fact, quite the opposite. But here's the interesting thing. As I began to get to know Dave a little bit, I discovered that, 12 years ago from that moment in time, when Dave had just gone to university and he'd been doing his degree in design, um, he'd met this guy and they'd become really good friends. And this guy that he met was a Christian. And this guy said to Dave, look, Dave, I I just need to tell you about something that's really important to me. And if it's okay with you, tell you you everything about it, but I'm not going to say anything about it again unless you ask me. But I, but I need to be true to who I am, because this is, this is really key in my life. And he just told him his story about how he'd become a Christian and shared with him a little bit about the message of Christianity. And true to his word, he never, ever said anything again unless Dave asked him. And this is what Dave said to me um, just after you got me. He said, what it, what it was, Mark, is I remembered when I read through all your stuff, I suddenly got this kind of, I went back to that moment and I, I remembered what my friend had told me about his life. And I'd watched how his faith really shaped his life. He said, it, 12 years have passed and now I'm reading your stuff and it's all just slotting into place. How exciting is that? It's brilliant, isn't it? I love it. Let me tell you about RTB... Oh, so now you know why I call him Leaflet Dave, because he designed them, just in case you had not made the connection, okay? So let me tell you about... Um, I've, I've got a list here. I have to be disciplined, because I could tell you about these types of people all morning. So I'm going to tell you about a few more. Let me tell you about a lady who came on a course that I... in which a number have uh, already been on this, in Costa Coffee, Reason to Believe, for those of you who were there. And uh, Reason to Believe is basically... It acknowledges that we Christianity is reasonable, but many people think it isn't. So we just do a little bit of presentation, a little bit of natter, and all that done over coffee and cake, which is no bad thing. So um, I'm running Reason to Believe. It's got to be 10, 12 years ago. Now, and at the end of Reason to Believe, the last evening, is, is it reasonable to believe that Christianity is right? And what I basically say is it, it, it's not that Christianity is right. It's that Jesus is right. And Christianity is the only religion that understands, celebrates, teaches, and seeks to follow what Jesus did. So it's like, it's not that Christianity, the institution, is right. We're not right. Jesus is right. That's the critical thing. So that's what I present and I talk about Jesus' birth, his life, his death and his resurrection, and I look at some of the arguments against those and present why I think it's reasonable to believe in that, and then at the end of the evening, we give people an opportunity to say yes to God, so it's quite chill out, it's quite casual, it's no big deal, and I'm stood by the door at the end with my little booklets, the journey booklet, one of the ones that Dave designed, and I've got my journey booklets, and at the end of the evening, I say, if you said yes to God this evening, I've got a little leaflet, come and get one. It's a little booklet I've written for people just like yourself. So I'm stood at the door. A lady came up to me and she said, oh, Mark, can I have one of your booklets? I said, of course you can. I gave her the booklet. As she took the booklet, I said to her what I said to everybody, oh, did you say yes to God this evening? She said, oh, no, no, no. I said yes to God two years ago. I said yes to Christianity this evening. Now, I could get my head around that because C.S. Lewis who we all know, okay, had to convert to theism from not being, a, not being a believer. He had to create to theism, and then two years later, converted to Christianity. He didn't do it all in one fell swoop. So I got that, I got that. I understood enough of that. So she'd got the book. She said, oh, no, I said yes to Christianity this evening. I said, oh, that's lovely. And I, I genuinely excited. that fantastic that this evening, you've said yes to Jesus dying on the cross for you. She said, oh, I didn't do that. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking there's a link. Isn't that? There's a link between saying yes to Christianity and saying yes to Jesus. In my mind. In my theology. In my understanding. But what we've got to understand is for the vast majority of people, they've got to get their head around God. They've got to get their head around Jesus, the person. And then sometimes even get their head around his crucifixion and... Sometimes even as a Christ- Christian, we don't get our head around that, right? So, that, so why should we expect somebody else to suddenly embrace everything? So what do you do? I've given her a booklet. And what do you do? Give me my booklet back. You can't say that, can you? So I said to, I said, look, I'm really pleased that two years ago you said yes to God. That's really exciting. And I'm thrilled that you said yes to Christianity this evening. But my encouragement would be don't leave it too long before you say yes to Jesus, Because saying yes to Jesus will make more sense of the yes to Christianity you've said this evening and the yes to God that you said two years ago. I got an email about two years later. She's saying, oh, I've obviously worked in twos. Um, She said, I'm I'm getting baptized on Sunday. I finally said yes to Jesus. It's brilliant, isn't it? Let me tell you about which... Oh, let me tell you about Rich. Rich is from Chesterfield. About um, three, four years ago... I'm speaking at an Alpha launch. Now, for those of you who don't know what Alpha is, Alpha is a brilliant course that has helped thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people across the globe to think about Christianity. It's excellent. And I often come and do what they call the Alpha launch. And the whole idea about Alpha launch is just to encourage people to to sign up to the rest of the course. And uh, so I often do these types of evenings. And in that evening... I'll often say, have a proper look. A lot of people, they, they've rejected Christianity without having a proper look. Go on, have a proper look. Don't say it's not for you when you've not looked into it because if you've not looked into it, well, how do you know what it is that you're saying isn't for you? So have a little look into it. Find out what it really all is about. And then if after that, it's not for you, fair dues. Sad, but fair dues. Okay, so that's the kind of thing of the evening. Rich leaves the Alpha launch that evening. Going, I've never had a proper look. He's right, is that Mark? I've never had a proper look. I've said no to it. I don't even know what it is that I'm saying no to. So he signed up to the Alpha course. At the end of that first Alpha course, Rich became a Christian. At the end, at uh, the, the beginning of the next one, he started to help set up for Alpha. Then he starts to help at the next one, lead a small group. Then he starts to help lead the whole thing. Now he's a speaker on it. And now he's employed by his church as their operations director because they do a whole bunch of stuff in the community. And it all came not because he was battered over the head with the gospel message, the Christian message, but because he was challenged to have a proper look. I could tell you, as I've mentioned, lots and lots of stories. I've just found somebody who um, this last couple of weeks i got a message from them over Christmas um, a lady's become a Christian 37 years ago. For the last 34 years, she's been praying for her husband to come to faith. Don't know what she was doing for the first three days, but the first three years, but that's, that's by the by. She's the last 34 years of praying. Been so disheartened, so discouraged, no movement. And at Christmas, he came to hear me speak. And at the end of the service, he said to a guy in the church, that I, knew I like him. I'm, I'm definitely going to become one of those little yeses after 34 years. Just had a message this week from a church who have been working with a guy. I've done loads of events at the church. This guy's come to see me speak, done lots of stuff like Reason to Believe, Comedy Evenings, Christmas Evening, Life Series, all sorts of different stuff that get people thinking about faith and life, and for 12 years, 12 years he's been coming to the church, and just about six months ago, he said a big yes to God after all these years. I'm going to pick up on that in a few moments' time. Why am I telling you these stories? I'm deliberately telling you these stories because you know what? That's the way that 99.9%, always leave yourself a get out clause, 99.9% of people who become Christians do so through a journey. I've not met anybody who's gone to bed an atheist and woke up wanting to be a Christian. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying I've not met them. Now, when you consider for 32 years, Just this year, for 32 years, I've been traveling around the UK, meeting lots and lots of people who don't know Jesus. And I've never once come across, in amongst all the people that are Christians and all the people that are on a journey, I've never once come across somebody who's not been through some kind of journey. Never once. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying I've not come across anybody who's not been through some kind of journey. Now, hold that thought. In Elim, this is part of Elim, as I mentioned, we, we've got four things that we call our priorities, the four things that are really important to us. Uh, we really believe in churches, absolutely 100% believe in churches. The little slides are going you know, to... I'm looking at that screen, that's nothing to do with this presentation, isn't it? And I'm thinking, what, what slide's that from my... <laughs> don't remember putting that up there. And it's, oh, now I've got the menu for the week, okay? (laughs) That was a posh echo monitor. Um, So we really, really believe in churches. um, But I I, I believe in churches that have a healthy culture of evangelism, a journey-based approach. Don't you want to belong to a church where people who are on a journey to discover God can find him here? Don't you want to belong to a church where people who are on a journey can come here and however long they're on that journey, that's fine. Don't you want to be part of a a church where people come along who will probably completely disagree with us, both in the way they live their lives, the choices that they make, but we want them to be welcome. The truth is, probably most of us don't agree with each other on lots and lots of stuff. It's the truth, isn't it? So... So we really should be a church that has a healthy culture of evangelism. What I mean by that is not just a church who rams the gospel message down people's throats. I believe in the power of the gospel. I've seen it transform so many people's lives. I've seen it do its work. And precisely because I believe in the power of the gospel, I want to allow the gospel to do its stuff. So we want a church, and I know this is John's passion. I know this is where we're going as a church, where people can come on that journey and we can journey with them. So we believe in churches. We believe in leaders, but leaders that lead by example. (laughs) Leaders that are not the types of leader that just tell us all what to do. Aren't you glad that in our church we've got a leader who doesn't just tell us all what to do? I love John to bits. I absolutely adore this man. I love, I love his nature. I love his character. I love where he is in God. I love how he leads. I, th- this guy, we are blessed to, to, to have this man uh, leading. We really, really are. And I'm excited by where we're going. Okay. Ooh, got a little bit emotional then, mate. Even if you have given two me, my books away. I can't even say it. Whenever it comes to giving things away, I start stumbling over the words. It's, it's the y- Just spirit. The cry of a Yorkshireman is how much? I'll give you this for now. How much? (laughs) So, yeah, John, genuinely, we're we're really, really blessed. We believe in leaders. Now, me, I'm an evangelist, okay? So I want to help people who are evangelists. I want to train and develop and equip them and get them a better understanding of how people come to faith. If that's you, it might be that's you here. Then come and chat to John and we can look at how we can shape that up a little bit. We believe in nations. We be- absolutely, Elim is made up of nations. Okay? Not just across the globe, though we have lots. We have Ian, as, uh, who's International Missions Director, but actually nations right here in, in the UK. We, we are made up of nations, so we believe in nations. Not just journeying with nations, over the seas, but journeying with nations right here. So we believe in nations, and we want to reach the nations here. And we believe in disciples. We want to make disciples. It's so, so important. Jesus said basically things, love God, love your neighbor, make disciples. That's the deal. We don't need to come up with a vision and strategy. That's what he said. We just love God, love people, and make disciples. So we believe in disciples, but the problem With making disciples in the past, what we've done is we've said, right, you become a Christian and now we'll make you a disciple, okay? And it's all been done around a course. It's a kind of homogenized way, a kind of one style fits all. And me and Sue were chatting, about vastly different. We all are completely different. So we believe in disciples, but we want a journey-based approach, not some kind of collective course, because if we don't understand the process by which a person comes to faith, it makes it nigh on impossible to inform their discipleship pathway. I'll pick up on that in a few moments' time a little bit more. I'm not here to talk massively around these key areas, but these are four priorities for Elim, and we really, really believe in these. Here's a question for you to discuss and lose sleep over. When does a disciple become a Christian? because we've always talked about Christians and then disciples, but Jesus says, go and make disciples. So have a little think about that. Because you know what? Honestly, this atheist guy that I mentioned that a church contacted me about recently, he'd been reading his Bible and praying more than quite a few of the Christians in the church. I would argue he's doing all right as a disciple. He might not have made a commitment yet, but He's doing all right as a disciple. He was really kind. He was brilliant. I actually mean that. So I think when we make disciples, it's not just become Christian and then it's some kind of post-conversion kind of thing. It's the whole thing. Anyway, answers on a postcard. I'll leave you to stew over that one, okay? So journey is really important. Why? Because journey is not just a buzzword. Journey's not just... Have you heard it today? Oh, we're on the journey. I'm on the journey. You're on the journey. It's become... Common parlance, hasn't it? It's become a, a word that is used quite a lot. But actually, journey is not just a buzzword. Have you heard of catechesis? You haven't? Let me explain it to you, Soon as you asked. Okay? If you could ask, that would be helpful. No, let me explain it to you. Catechesis is something that was set up in the early church as Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire with devastating impact. I mean, it was bonkers. It was off the chart. Loads of people began to say, what's this Christianity about? Loads of judgments were beginning to be made about it. Loads of rumors would spread about it. People would make wrong decisions about it. People would make what they thought were factual statements based on what somebody else had said about it, but they didn't really know themselves. And so the early church thought, this is not good, we need to address this. So they created this thing called catechesis catechesis was where the early church said to people who were a little bit sceptical about it, hey, listen, why don't you come and journey with us for three years? Why don't you come and watch how we behave? You've got to have some confidence in how you behave to say that, haven't you? Why don't you learn why we behave that way? Why don't you discuss with us about what we believe and why we believe it? Why don't you see the impact? It's made. Why don't you watch how we serve our communities, etc, etc, etc. No different, really, to where we are right now in our world. Suggest so it's no different to where we've really ever been in any given point in the world. Come and join us for three years. Interesting, isn't that Jesus for about three years, said, "Come and follow me." It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's what a rabbi would do. A follower of a rabbi was called a disciple. And when the rabbi said to you, come follow me, it was incredible. Two things were really important. The rabbi saw something in you that he felt with a little bit of nurture, he could make you like him. So when Jesus calls us to be disciples, it's because he sees something is that with a little bit of nurture, we can be a little bit more like him. It was a privilege to become a disciple. It was every Jewish boy's dream to become a disciple of a rabbi. And so, you know, when it says at once or immediately, most people think, oh, they gave up a lot. Wasn't, none of that meant anything to them. the rabbi, he's seen something in me. But even then, the rabbi, which is why Jesus did it, would say three years. Come and walk with me for three years. And then at the end, let's have a conversation to see whether I think you can be a disciple and to see whether you want to be a disciple. So why we expect people to make a decision about the Lord like that, I, I, I don't really understand why we, why we do that. You see, journey is not just a buzzword. And you know what? The longer I've been a Christian, I've become more and more convinced that the Holy Spirit moves more in the small than he does in the big. I am honestly more and more convinced. And so often when we're praying, we're praying for some big thing to happen. I'm not saying the Lord doesn't do those things. But more often than not, it's the small things. I mean, isn't that your experience? moves more in the small. And there are some big stuff from time to time. And so I think the journey is really, really important. To help us think about that, let's turn to the Bible. Oh, he's gone to the Bible. Great. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you'll know what I mean if I say turn to Acts chapter 26. I wouldn't get too excited and giddy because we're only going to look at two particular chunks, what we call verses. It's just a little collection of sentences. But if you wanted to have a look, you can. Failing that, they're going to appear on the screen. Thank you, you're doing amazing well this morning. Thank you so much. So, uh, this is an interesting situation. You've got the Apostle Paul, there's basically three parts. Uh, of the book of Acts where we can get an insight into Saul's conversion, okay? The first part is Acts chapter 9, which is a kind of narrative of of when it was happening, okay? Then we've got Acts chapter 22, which is basically Paul standing up in the marketplace and giving his story, his what we call testimony in the church. And then you've got this Acts chapter 26 section where he's almost given it as a bit of a defense. He's He's being cross-examined and uh, he's in front of a king called Agrippa and a bloke called Festus. And so he's sharing about what's happened to him. Festus is not happy. He is kicking off. You're out of your mind. Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. What I am saying is reasonable and true. Ladies and gentlemen, your faith is not just true. It's reasonable. It's not just reasonable, it's true. It's reasonable and true. The problem for us often as Christians is we only ever speak about it as true. And most of the time we speak about it as true, we back it up by saying, because the Bible, by the way, I believe in the Bible. Okay, so I get that. The Bible's my first and final and overall authority. I get that, I get that. But for your average person who the Bible's not such... For them, it's no good saying it's true. And it's true because the Bible says. I've been in so many contexts where Christians have been trying to defend their faith and in things like alpha small groups where somebody who's not a Christian has been asking a question and people have just said, well, it's just because it's true because the Bible says. I'm not being, I am. That's rubbish, isn't it? What we believe, ladies and gentlemen, is reasonable. And we've got to spend a lot more time showing that it's reasonable. It's reasonable. And actually, when we show that it's reasonable, people are more willing to consider that it may be true. And so a little suggestion that critical to the the reason that we journey with people is because it takes a while for people to see that it's reasonable. That's a bit of a challenge for us as Christians because so often we've never thought about the reasonableness of the Bible And so when we sometimes get in conversation with people who aren't Christians, who may be a little bit more reasoned than us, we have a mild panic attack ensues. Sometimes even have a crisis of faith. I want to say to you, understand that Christianity is reasonable and true. That was a little extra sermonette though. Valid, I feel. Back to the main thread. Back to the main thread. So what I am saying is both reasonable and true. And then look at this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, just after this, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that you, not only you, but all those here listening will become as I am except for these chains. So that's bizarre. So why did Paul say short time or long? See, I, I honestly believe that Paul had a greater understanding of the process by which people come to faith than we might think he did. You see, we talk about, and, and you'll have heard this or when people are sharing their story about how they came to faith. They say things like, well, I didn't have a blinding flash of light. For me, it was much more gradual. Or maybe even if they're slightly more Bible literate, I didn't have a Damascus Road experience. For me, it was much more gradual. Have you heard that? Can I suggest to you, Saul, as he was called at that moment in time, did not have a Damascus Road experience. I mean, oh, geographically, it was a Damascus Road experience. But actually, what actually took place on that moment in time was not what we think took place on that moment in time paul was approximately 30 years old when this took place we believe he was born around the time that jesus was born possibly 3 or 4 years different but he would be approximately 30 years old at this time and as paul has this experience on the damascus road what you need to understand he already believed in god in fact i would argue he was probably one of the most passionate believers of god He he was schooled under Gamaliel, the most prestigious teacher, as were his parents. So he was brought up in a God-fearing family. He's 30 years, and for 30 years of his life, he's believed in God. So we can't really equate somebody as kind of having a kind of an overnight sensation and saying, that's what happened to Paul, because it didn't, (laughs) because he already believed in God. 30 years thus far has been his journey. And wrestling with God. So, but what's happened now? Some things have begun to accelerate in Saul at this point when he stood called Saul. It gets very complicated. Some things have begun to accelerate. You see, it's more than likely that Saul heard Jesus speaking in the temple. Jesus spoke in the temple. He certainly knew about Jesus, didn't he? He's certainly seen the influence that these Jesus followers are having and therefore Jesus is having. But he saw Jesus as a threat to God. and So tried to eradicate, to destroy. I mean, at this moment in time, Saul's job is to go and kill a few Christians. A weird gig, isn't it, really? And he's got some special permission to go and kill some more. Who knew you could get special permission to go and kill some more Christians? That's what's happening. So he's on his way and he's on this road and then there's this blinding flash of light. Who is it that he meets? Jesus. But I want to suggest it's not just Jesus he's met. He's met the crucified, risen Jesus. He, all, he knew about Jesus. He'd seen the influence of Jesus. He believed in God and now he's met not Jesus, the person pre-crucifixion, but met the crucified, risen Jesus. And he has this encounter. And so he says, who are you? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. What do you want me to do? It's Always a good thing. Jesus didn't want to just to, to rescue us from a life without him. He's got something for us to do. I love that thought. I'm going to be disciplined because I want to say more on that place then. He has this incredible experience where he's talking with Jesus, but that's not enough. Jesus says to him, right, I need you to go to Straight Street. There's this guy there called Ananias that I prepared him. You're going to meet with him. So he believes in God, 30 years old. He knows about Jesus. He's seen Jesus's influence. He now meets not Jesus, but the crucified, risen Jesus. And now he has to go and spend a bit of time processing what's just happened on a And then after that, he joins a few of the disciples. It's a small group. It's a connect group, a life group, whatever you want to call it. Then from then, when he's got himself all kind of, you know, sorted, he then goes off to the temple to preach where people probably best know him, possibly, to be honest with you. But isn't that interesting, that journey, that process? Even though he'd had this massive encounter, he still needs a one-on-one. See, we have this... that all it takes is for God to pour out his spirit and that'll all be done. It won't, it won't. We need to journey with people. And I want to suggest to you, it's so critical that we journey with people and are patient. It could take them 30 plus years in their journey. And that's for somebody who already believed in God. And that's why when Saul said, Um, When Paul says short time or long, because he knew that it can happen over a long period of time, I wonder how committed we are to the long term. I actually know people that have given up meeting with their friends because they haven't become a Christian. And I think, shame on you. You've just abused that person just so you can share your faith. What, What about genuine friendship and family and journeying whether they become Christians or not. (laughs) Just journey with people, be there with people. And yet it's quite hard, I get that. But the problem is so often we set out to convert. I want to suggest to you, we can't create souls, but we can create journey. We can't create conversions, but we can create conversations. Don't set out to convert, set out to converse. That's what we need to do, just to chat, just to talk just to discuss. Because do you know what? I work on the basis that God is working in people. And it's really fascinating. It's a fascinating little sentence that it's almost easy to miss. Where Jesus is saying to Saul, it's impossible for you to kick against the goats. Are you familiar with that phrase? Let me tell you what a goat is, okay? A goat is an agricultural implement. It's similar in size and shape to a pool cue. It's fatter at one end, and a little bit more pointed, rounded pointed, but pointed at the other end, and it kind of angles down. And it was used when an ox or an oxen had had the big heavy load put on it that it knew it had to carry, and it didn't want to move. And so what they would do is the farmer would get the the goad, and he'd just prod it. He'd just nudge it. He wouldn't hit it with the thick end one fell swoop. That'll learn it. That'll do it. Okay, No, he'd just gently prod Gently prod, gently prod. The notion being that it became more uncomfortable for the oxen to stay as it was than it was for it to move. Jesus is saying to Saul, it's impossible for you to kick against the goats. I've just been nudging you. have been nudging you. It's going to become more uncomfortable for you to stay as you are. And What were those nudgings? What were those goadings? 30 years of believing in God. Some scholars suggest that Saul's Sister had become a Christian. We know he was present at the stoning of Stephen. He'd heard about Jesus. Maybe his aggression was reflective of the fact that he was running away from something that he knew to be true. I don't know. But what we do know is Jesus had been prodding him. I meet so many people who, when they finally inverted commas, become Christians. They do so because it's like, oh. I might as well as do it, because over time, things have just built up and built up and built up, and it's like, oh, it makes sense now. And you know, sometimes when people put their hand up, okay, we think, oh, that, that's the moment for them. Do you know what? It's probably not. <laughs> it's probably not. It's probably not the biggest decision they make. They've probably already made it. For an atheist to think there may be a God is probably the biggest decision they're ever going to make in their life, and we've just got to change how we view things a little bit, has been my experience, so journey's really, really important, have you heard of the Chalutica Bridge, if you haven't, I shall tell you about it, this is incredible, this was uh, built in Honduras, and uh, it was, um, (laughs) it was commissioned for use, it was built around 1996, took a couple of years to build. And in the year it was commissioned for use, use, Hurricane Mitch struck. Do you remember Hurricane Mitch? Struck Honduras and um, loads of bridges were destroyed, uh, including the old bridge that this one replaced. This is in the year this bridge was commissioned to use. Now, this bridge stayed almost perfectly intact. But a couple of things happened. The first thing that happened is the river changed. It moved course. Yeah? Before Mitch, the river was there. Post Mitch, the river's here. I mean, there's nothing you can do in your project planning meeting with that, is there? you You can't foresee. I mean, imagine the devastation. Imagine driving to work that morning. In the year, feeling pretty proud of your bridge. Oh, look. Where's my bridge gone? So the bridge itself was perfect. Apart from the river had changed and the connecting points from the main bridge were destroyed. But the bridge itself stayed in near perfect condition. It was just useless. I want to suggest to you, I I don't think by and large the, the church is in a bad state. I I still believe in the church, whatever church is. That's a fresh debate to have, isn't it? But I still believe in the community of believers growing together in faith, following Jesus, whatever means (laughs) we use to make that happen, okay? So I think the church is okay. I mean, there's a few tweaks need to be made. Let's not, you know, get ahead of ourselves here. There's some changes that need to be made. But what has happened is we've lost our connections And the culture river has changed path. And it's not going to come back. Now, we can either be really depressed about that, or we can go, what an exciting challenge to reconnect people with a Jesus they've never even heard of some people. It's a really exciting opportunity. It's not something to be depressed at. So what we've got to do is say, okay, we believe in the church you see what the church is doing around the UK. It's incredible the impact the church is having in communities around the UK. We've just got a bit disconnected. So we've got to recognize that challenge and go, right, how do we reconnect? Let me uh, show you to introduce you to a piece of research called Talking Jesus. This is uh, a piece of genuine bona fide research that takes the same criteria that is used by any research organization. This was conducted by Barna Group, and particularly Comres, and uh, they, along with people like Gallup, are the leading research people in the UK. So whenever the UK presents stats that 32% of people da, da da, it's probably this or a similar organization. So they applied the same research criteria. In fact, actually, that's not true. They did the research, it came out overwhelmingly positive, So the heads of all the denomination and key leaderships in the UK were a little bit cynical. So they said, "We'll have the research done again." Banner Group are saying, "We've never done this. It's going to cost you twenty-five grand." They raised the money, and they did it again, and it came out exactly the same. So the research is good and helpful research. You can download this if you want. It's called Talking Jesus Research. It's available on the Hope Together website. Just Google that; it'll come up, or the Evangelical Alliance website. I've been involved in, in, in some of this, but it revealed uh, a couple of really, really interesting things. It revealed that most people who weren't a Christian knew a Christian. Now, bear in mind, this research was, what do you know about Christians, not what do you know about church? I think that would have provided some, some different stats, and I think they would have probably been more negative, okay? But I'm okay with that because, People are a little bit miffed with institutions anyway. It's not just against the church, it's general, okay? And that's all right, because we love Jesus, and we love the church, but we love Jesus. So let's just represent Jesus, and that's what we need to do. But they were reasonably positive. You can find all the back data of this as well if you want to do, but you need to look. Here's this, look at this one here. They had some really positive words to say about us, if we could have the next slide so just the blues, the adults, the orange is the young people. So the, the young people survey was done separately, but amongst 1,000 young people. And then the, research was, the results were pulled together so that we could present it in one thing. They thought we were friendly, caring, good-humored, generous. That's all right, isn't it? Okay, next slide, please. They had very few negative words. Few said we were narrow-minded, hypocritical, uptight. Or homophobic only a few had that view of us based on the christian that they knew not based on the church but based on the christian that they knew and this excites me next slide please sir listen to this one in five adults and one in six young people wanted to know more about jesus christ one in five adults and one in six young people we're open or interested in an experience or encounter with Jesus. That's all right, eh? Now, you know in the church, we're really good, aren't we, at worrying about what we haven't got than what we have got. And some of you are probably thinking, what about the four in five? It's a fair point. But should we just get a little bit excited this morning about the one in five? Eh? We'll, we'll worry about the four in five. We're, we're not ignoring them. But one in five people are interested what are they? Are they people that are ready to become Christians? Probably not. Are they ready for people? Are they, are they people that might want to investigate? Possibly, probably. Are they people that are willing to become open-minded about the Christian faith? I would suggest they're probably already open-minded and they might be willing to have an investigate. And so I've created a framework that I believe God has given me. And it's come from Actually, quite a lot of years of discussion with myself and Emma, we've chatted about this stuff, haven't we? Just how we can do our evangelism with integrity and help people along that journey and not forcing people. Or You know, like the times when we said, oh, do you want to come to a comedy night? And we haven't told them there's any Christian content in it. You know, those sorts of things. The, 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 the Things like the word pre-evangelism, it's got to go. Pre-evangelism got to go, because we talked about pre-evangelism, we do this amongst those just so we can get to evangelize them. Now, that's all got to go. We've got to recognize this journey-based approach to walking with people. And so for years, I'd I'd felt, yeah, I'm I'm happily giving people an opportunity to become Christians, seeing the Lord use me to help many people to become Christians. But I had this increasing dissatisfaction about, what about those who are not ready to say yes to God, they're not saying no, though, <laughs> and I'm not helping them, and, he, and I actually felt really challenged one day, because my appeal was this, uh, if you become a Christian, da, 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 come and meet me at the door, I'll give you a booklet, if you're somebody who's open-minded, just speak to your friend. What sort of message was that sending out? I didn't know whether it was or it wasn't, but I felt deeply concerned that it made it look like I'm only interested in you if you want to become a Christian. And that really upset me when I realized that. So for years, I wrestled, Lord, how do I do this? How do I hold this tension of not holding back? Because there are loads of people who want to become Christians, but helping those. How do I celebrate the healthy maybes, the little yeses? I didn't have that language at the time. And one day, I was delivering an appeal, and this language dropped into my heart and spirit. Big yes, little yes, healthy maybe. I was really excited by it. I wasn't planning the words. It was just like they were coming, they were happening. I'm going, oh, have you ever done that when you've been speaking? You go, oh, where did that come from? And what was amazing is at the end of that meeting, I was blown away by the amount of people who responded to the gospel. Some people came to me and said, oh, I, I'm a big yes. Can I have one? I had people who weren't Christians coming up to me and saying, I'm a little Yes. I have people come up to me who weren't Christians saying, I'm a healthy maybe. That's really powerful. That's somebody who's not at that point where they can say yes to God, but they're saying, I'm a little, yes, there's power in that statement. When people who aren't Christians self-identify where they are on the journey. Legend of when I suggest to you, I'm not going to suggest to you. I believe, and I don't speak like this, but I've decided to be a lot more bold. I believe that God has given me something for the UK church that we simply must embrace if we want to be effective. All this cry of revival, it's not going to happen how we thought it happens, how we thought it's going to happen, but there is a spiritual awakening. I'm not less excited or less enthused. Just at the end of uh, January, I celebrated 32 years in full-time evangelism. I'm more excited now than I ever have been. About what I do. I mean, I get tired a bit more because I'm knocking on a bit now, but I am so excited. Why? Because I feel like God has given me something for the UK church, and I'm really honored and blessed that Elim has embraced it 100% and has released me to shape this around all our churches. Big yes, little yes, healthy maybe. A new framework for evangelism. Could we have the next slide? Briefly, Big yes is about creating moments and opportunities where we can help people who are ready to become a Christian to become a Christian. Little yes is about creating moments and opportunities where we can help people make an intentional decision to find out more, to investigate. Healthy maybe is about creating moments and opportunities where people become open-minded about the Christian faith if they aren't already. And if they are already that we encourage them to keep it on their agenda, to take their maybe and make it healthy so it doesn't just dissipate. And we're beginning more and more here in this church to move towards that. I I can't say as much as I would love to say about it because I want to show you the rest of uh, our uh, national evangelism vision. Um, But just to say, I'd really want to encourage you I'm going to be bold. If you want to understand where we are right now in the UK culture, in terms of where people are, and how we can be most effective at sharing our faith, buy the book. By the book. It will really, really help you. And um, <laughs> I have been a little bit blown away by the impact it's having, even though I knew that it was a God thing. It's being embraced by whole organizations and churches and all sorts of areas that I just did not expect. It's getting a huge amount of um, um, positive affirmations from leading figures in the evangelical scene in the UK. Some even suggesting it's the book to read on evangelism in Britain. Yeah, it's not my words, that's their, their words. Okay, and that's why I think I've just kind of had this increased sense. This is really, really from God. So um, got them for sale at the end. If you've come... Um, without cash, don't worry, I can take your card. (laughs) I haven't got a machine, but I will take your card. (laughs) No, you can pay by secure payment. And just a couple of other bits on this before I begin to move into the last um, part of uh, sharing what I'm sharing with you today. This is a little book called, Now That Is A Good Answer. I I wrote just to begin to help Christians show that our faith is reasonable. So if you get involved with conversations, it's, it's not designed to give an answer. That's going to kind of be like a passing shot in tennis that somebody can't return. It's not about having this kind of battle, you know, verbal sparring match. It's actually just saying, look, it is reasonable. These are some of the ways that you can just equip yourself. So that's, I think, we've sold some like 60,000 of those over the years now. That's had all sorts of different iterations. And then this is a little booklet. That's four pounds. This is a little booklet called uh, Faith Book. I wrote it because I was really annoyed <laughs> with the church, okay? It came from a place of anger, um, I'm not going to lie. And it, I just was fed up of Christians thinking that people of other faiths are our enemy. Oh, it's so annoying. They're not. They're our fellow pilgrims. They're on a journey. And in some way, arguably like the Apostle Paul, they would kind of connected in some way with God. So this is a little booklet. It's a general guide to sharing your faith. with other other faiths. It's not an in-depth look at any one particular faith. It's having a little look at all the cults and the religions and how we can respectfully journey with them. And it focuses mainly around the person of Jesus, which I think is the best thing to focus on in terms of sharing your faith with other faiths. If you get more of a passion for one faith, you'd get to know a little bit more about them and their practice and what they do. But in terms of a general equipping, The church was founded on the fact that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. Every religion in the world and every cult in the world is founded on the antithesis of that. Which comes as no surprise. So actually it's a good place to start, isn't it? To show that Jesus is right. Look at what Jesus talked about and then let that filter out. So it shows how we can journey with people. Those are all available at the end. By the way, if you have come with cash, you can pay by cash. It's not a problem. Or check. Or check. No, no, no. Okay. Next slide, please, sir. So, how do we do it? This is uh, we're gonna whiz through these um, next few slides in the next hour or two, and then um oh, somebody making your own jokes up now, are you? Okay, it's not an hour or two, don't worry. It's 50 minutes. No, it's not, it's not. So, how on earth do we do this? I wanna suggest that if we want to help people on that journey, that big yes, yes, healthy. Maybe journey, then I think there's three things that we uh, need to embrace. I want to talk about those three things, um, and then just I want to say one or two things about them. My intention at this stage isn't to do a massive thing on, on any single one of them; it's just to headline it a little bit. Um, but I believe we've got to do a, a few things: words, action, spirit. Best summed up in this old image of a milking stool. And uh, so we've got a big yes, little yes, healthy maybe represents the process by which people come to faith, okay? And the legs, relevant words, caring actions, spirit empowered are what inform that process, what inform that journey. So we get those things in place, those understandings in place, and it's on that, it's on those principles that our, our evangelism sits, so we want to we begin to implement those. So we're looking at this as a denomination strategically. Where are our weaknesses? I'm encouraging local churches to look at this. Where are their weaknesses? And a reflection for me as a Christian. And I'm constantly doing this. Where me as a Christian, because before I'm a minister, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, so I'm looking at this and would encourage you to do the same. So if we could go on to the first one, relevant words. We have to be relevant with our words. And it's not just about decluttering the religious language. It is about that. But it's actually looking at how we can take what we're trying to articulate and put it into somebody else's language. And that's going to mean you're going to have to talk about things in different ways. You're going to have to find different metaphors. It might be that if you're speaking to somebody who has no belief in God, that you might have to find another way of articulating to open up a kind of spiritual conversation. So it might be that the spiritual conversations have to start before the God conversations start. I've got to be disciplined, otherwise I can end up saying loads on that. Relevant words is so important. We, we do use too many words, if we could have the next slide. Don't use a big word when a singularly unloquacious and diminutive linguistic expression will satisfactorily accomplish the contemporary necessity. Do You know what I mean? We can say things a lot more simply, and we can be so verbose sometimes in our words. So yeah, it is about decluttering our religious language. I mean, I've got a, a guy at the church that I used to, to be, I don't know if you remember him, it, the brother, he was called Jeff. And Jeff would say, hallelujah. Like, uh, every, like, give a moment. So I'd be talking to him. I'd be talking to him, going, so how are you doing, Jeff? Yeah, really good, hallelujah. All right, okay. How's your day been? Yeah, wonderful. Praise the Lord. All right, okay. So how's work? Sharabundus. Mm, Do you know what I mean? It's like, he used it I mean, you don't go into McDonald's and do that, do you? I'll have a quarter pounder with cheese, large fries and a milkshake, hallelujah. You don't, do you? And if you do, stop it, it's not helpful. Not helpful. So we've got to just get out of this little kind of culture <laughs> that we're in and just speak normal. We might run some classes on that, okay? So speak normal. We want to be attractive and connecting in our words. If we could have the next slide. Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the children, and the aliens, that's not little green men, living in your town so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this Lord. Next slide, please. We want to highlight assemble and listen, particularly this morning. These are words that are attracting, attractive and connecting. We want to be attractive and connecting in the way we live and the words that we use. So relevant words, caring actions, caring actions, I did, so it's not just words, it's relevant words. It's not just actions, it's caring actions. I see two extremes in the church, neither of which are helpful. I see the extreme of whereby people want to do acts of kindness and social action as a means to evangelize people. That's abuse. I see in the church, people and churches doing caring action, social action, and there's no connection in any way that it's got anything to do with the faith and that's unhelpful as well my notion is let's just get out there and care for people one because it's right to do as a human being it's right to do because we love jesus so we just care because we care and here's the beautiful thing when you do that people are blown away and you actually begin to see where god is at work some of my best conversations have happened when i wasn't intending to have a conversation with people I just because I did something kind. Now, that's the challenge. Sometimes we just got to slow life down a little bit, haven't we? To create space to care. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because it's bonkers, it's life. But caring actions. I love the way Proverbs um, message says that puts this. I don't often use the message. Unless I want to find a scripture to back up something that's spurious, I'll leave the message out of it, okay? But um, I, I do like the way this puts it. Never walk away from someone who deserves your help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. How beautiful is that? Absolutely. The notion that every time I help someone, that's God's hand. I I love that. So we want caring actions. And, And finally, on these legs, spirit empowered. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Now, Elim historically has been really good at spirit empowered, although we've gone off the boil a little bit with that. We're actually doing quite well at caring actions, not always so good at relevant words. And I believe that we've got to get relevant words, caring actions, and spirit empowered. I don't want to be known as somebody who's word and spirit. I want to be known as somebody who's word, spirit, and actions. Why? Could we have the next slide, please? It's what Jesus did. Do you remember where we're judder bands? Do you remember them? WWJD? Do you remember that? I always found it interesting that we needed a rubber band to remind us what would Jesus do, don't you? Slightly frightening, but never mind. So I'm not going to do a rubber band, but I'm going I'm to make a new movement. Could you have the next slide, please? It's what Jesus did. And if you look at the life of Jesus very quickly, Matthew 9:35, next slide. It says, Jesus went through all the towns, villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. We're familiar with that notion of being filled with the Spirit, that he went proclaiming the good news and healing. But look at this one in Acts 10.38. Next slide, please. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all those. Do you know it was 10 Pentecostals in the book of Acts that God raised up to look after widows and orphans. 10 spirit-filled believers. And in the Pentecostal church, for years we've relegated kind actions, caring actions, social action as something that only the liberal end of the church, much to our detriment. And it's critical that we're relevant with our words, caring with our actions, and spirit-empowered. Okay, I'm bringing this to a Uh, close now and a few moments time we're just going to have a very low-key opportunity to respond in terms of the end of the service if you'd like us to pray for you uh, after the service very very happy to do that but how are we gonna land it can I have the next slide please as long as I've been a Christian revival is just around the corner how flipping long is that corner Never mind the corner. I've been going around the bend. <laughs> never, never mind the corner. And, do you know, as recent as um, last year, January, I really felt God speaking to me. And God spoke to me about um, being expectant. Next slide, please. Uh, not expectant that God's going to do something, but expectant that God is doing something. See, we <laughs> we've been waiting for revival to come round the corner to us. When the truth is, God's already at work. What is revival? It's God at work, right? God's already at work in people. We've just got to go around the corner to it. <laughs> That's all we've got to do. And we do that in the power of the spirit, with our relevant words and our caring actions, and we do it by living go and make disciples, wrong translation. So wherever you go, make disciples. We're not saying from where we are right now, suddenly go like some project. It's just like wherever you are, make disciples. Go in the power of the Spirit. Be caring. And when you get the opportunities, be relevant. And I actually really believe hand on heart that God's calling us in the UK but thinking about us here this morning in an Elim church in Stratford-upon-Avon, God's calling us to go in the power of the Spirit our caring actions and our relevant words. But here's where the rubber hits the green for me. And I'm on a little bit of a journey with this. And privately, in my own devotion, it's quite painful. Um, because I've been saying to the Lord since mid-September, almost daily, Lord, I want more of your Holy Spirit. And the Lord really challenged me. And he said, you know, when you ask for more of my Holy Spirit, what you really mean is more of the power, more of the gifts, more of the Spirit. But the Lord just reminded me that he's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I just felt a little nudging, really, that as well as pursuing the Spirit, I need to pursue holiness. And that's quite painful, actually. So I prayed a prayer that seemed a really good response at the time. Have you ever done that? And then you think, why the heck did you pray that, you idiot? Have you ever done that? You see, if I if I see sin in other people, oh, it makes me cross. Don't like it. If I see sin in the world, oh, I don't like it. If I see sin in me, I love it. I do. I start to go, oh, this is, I love, I love doing these things that sometimes, you know, there's a little, bit, you know, like somebody winds you up. Doesn't it feel nice when you just let it build a little bit? And the thought of then dealing with it, that's hard, right? So I've been asking God, help me to hate the sin in me in the same way you do. And now I see sin in me all over the place. Things that are just, nothing major. My family don't need to panic, by the way just sense a little bit of a meal after the service where we're discussing <laughs> dad's sins, okay? I'm sure they have a meal when I'm not there discussing my sins anyway. But, but just, it's not, it's, not, it's not this major, it's not like I'm in a bad way. It's just, I just want to be like Jesus. And sometimes it's just being willing to say sorry quicker. Things like that. It's things like you know when you're at work and you've got um, a dinner hour and that's when you have your dinner and then either side of the dinner hour is normally where you work. It's things like working in the work hours and not doing Facebook, isn't it? In, in, in work time. Now so obviously some organisations have a different approach to things. It's, it's those things, isn't it? It's, ju- it's just being honest in mileage claims. It's Oh, here's here's a classic. I get this so many times. Oh, I've caught a taxi. Could I have a receipt for that? Yeah. How much would you like a receipt for? Um, the amount of money that I've given you. Oh, do you not want to claim any more back? No. I don't. It's like in sh- in sh- I I actually I don't if you remember this Emma. We we were decorating our house and we had somebody who was a Christian decorator, who wanted to give us an invoice for more than we paid him so we could claim more from the insurance company. It's unbelievable, isn't it? So I don't know what your life is like, but what I've done is I, w- I just, I want people to look at me, my family and friends included, and be blown away by how much like Jesus I am. No, I'm not. I'm not, but I want to be. So I want to be Holy because I feel if I can pray and deal with the holy stuff, I don't think I'll need to ask the Spirit <laughs> as much. And isn't that what Paul meant when he said, I need to decrease, that he might increase. Isn't it interesting that he'd, he'd put it that way around? He didn't say, I want you to increase so I will decrease. He said, I, w- I need to decrease so that you can increase. And so just at the end, as a means of response this morning, um, thank you for, for listening. I know it's been a a fairly lengthy talk, but there's so much that I need to share and I can't do it over a series with, uh, we've got over 500 churches and so I've got to kind of condense it and there's as a communicator that's um, got frustrations in it, but, I, but thank you for, for being patient and John for just shaping the service a bit differently and allowing me to, to share this, but I wonder just in the final few minutes whether you might respond in your own heart, I guess if we could have a worship band. There's a little song um, did we, was it the one about the Holy Spirit? Did you have that? Um, if we could sing that, if that's okay. And it's not, it's not a big kind of come to the front or anything like that. I just wonder whether where you are right now, you might be willing. You see, I've made this, this invitation and this is the invitation. Will you come with me on a journey to a place called holiness? Will you come with me on a journey to a place called holiness. That I might be.